Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey listeners, are you looking to monetize your craft? I know many of you out there are independent creators, publishers, educators, and of course, podcasters. If you're looking to monetize your passion, you have to check out memberful.com. Used by the biggest creators online, Memberful is providing best-in-class membership software for entrepreneurs and creators and has everything you need to run a successful and scalable membership program. In other words, Memberful allows you to build sustainable recurring revenue by selling memberships to your audience. You can send paid email newsletters directly through the platform, for example, without needing to connect to a third-party email provider. You can also publish your paid newsletter to a Memberful-hosted members-only website, putting your brand front and center. And most importantly, you retain full control and ownership of your audience. Setup is super simple, so get started today at memberful.com. That's memberful.com and start earning. This is E2 Entrepreneurs Exposed, the podcast where we speak with all kinds of founders and creators doing amazing things in business and beyond. So how many of you know immigrant founders with absolutely no founder experience that have gone on to build a multi-billion dollar company? My guest today is Martin Basiri, co-founder and CEO of Applyboard, a company he and his brothers launched in 2015, shortly after arriving in Canada. Since then, Applyboard has raised nearly $500 million from some of the most influential VCs, both in Canada and south of the border. With a mission to make education accessible to students around the world, Martin's passion and persistence fuel his vision to ensure every student who wants to pursue an education has the opportunity to do so. In this one, Martin and I discuss the idea of knowing very little when starting a business and how that could be a real advantage, raising hundreds of millions of dollars and the difference between raising a seed versus series A, B, C, and beyond, the five pillars of disruption in the education space, why immigration and talent are the number one factors for powering a nation's economic growth, and so much more. And with that intro out of the way, let's get right to the show. Here is Martin Basiri. So you guys incubate apply board in 2015. You've got this mission to empower people around the world to study abroad, access the best education. You guys do that by providing students with support every step of the way from applications and visas to to other pieces of the puzzle here. How are you also helping colleges and universities to match with students abroad? Explain that to people. Let's say you are a university of, let's say, Waterloo. You want to access the best talent from all over the world because they enrich your campus. There's a huge source of revenue for you in many cases when you don't provide a scholarship. Even sometimes when you provide a scholarship, the scholarship come from a company or something. And so you still like make a lot of revenue. And like um, you want your campus to like represent all over the world because you want even your domestic students to learn from the international students because every single business these days is global, right? We are no longer living in a local economy. Like even your Canadian students, your American students need to learn 
how it is to deal with business in Vietnam. So that exposure is valuable for a student. But what does Universal, for example, Waterloo have today? Like one way is to huge branding all over the world. So every student knows about Universal Waterloo, which is extremely expensive. What they do today, they go travel to different countries. They make a student first to bring the awareness, right? And so because someone in Vietnam doesn't know universities, right? Universal Waterloo. For the same reason, just like ask yourself, how many universities in Vietnam do you know? Probably none. So same as Vietnamese students. Yes, everyone heard of Stanford and Harvard and like, for example, Cambridge, but no one heard, for example, the local universities. That doesn't mean these universities should not get those students. So there is a need for these universities to use a platform like us. Traditionally, they were using like just a offline channels or travels to get the students. Now we are an online version of that need. So they come and said, these are my programs. This is the tuition fee. These are the requirements of these students I want to get. And then we bring them qualified applications. And what's the revenue model here? Is it free for students to use Apply Board and then you charge the institutions? Yes. It's a, it's a business model that is very well known in the entire education sector. Also the talent sector, right? You make it free for the customer and then um, you do a revenue share or some sort of like a share with the university or with the company who hire a talent, right? For us, it's university who pays us. So, you know, this thing explodes. Fast forward to, you know, midway through 21, you guys raised an astonishing amount of money, 375 million Canadian in your Series D at a post-money valuation of $4 billion. It's exceptional. We will get to all of that funding experience in a moment. But I want to go back to these early days of Apply Board when you and your brothers you have basically no entrepreneurial experience. This is your first rodeo. You're coming out of the corporate world after two years in automotive. What was the first year like for you guys? Like, how did you know this was working? How quickly was it growing? And how were you scrambling to sort of build the right support team and infrastructure to support this growth? Adam, I think one of the luckiest points that we had, we didn't know any of that. So that lack of experience that actually perfect for us because we didn't know what good looked like, right? So we built a shell, literally just a one landing page and we put it and someone first night requested information, right? And paid, I think, $500 for something that we didn't build yet. So that was a word to us. You know, you have no idea. Like, I still remember every second of it. We wake up in the morning and all of us on the phone, someone paid, someone paid. It works, it works. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't know. Like, we just, we changed so many times what we want to do. Now, the, the mission was always to help people. And the vision was like to do it with a study abroad. Since like all of us went through that, we just didn't know what good is. Like the whole concept of venture capital, I, I didn't know about it, right? Remember, my only exposure was Shark Tank and Dragon Den. So I thought you go in front of them and something like that. And then I heard like, no, you have to have your product ready and everything else. So we kept doing and doing um, hustling, right? I think, uh, Adam, one thing that we've done right was working crazy hard and ask other people to help. So wherever we didn't know what to do because we were just like a foreigners and we didn't have the experience and we didn't know the local law here. About We were just asking people, hey, this is our problem. Can you help us? And that's what I'm saying. Like Applyware is like an unstoppable train 
fueled by like a goodness and other people want to help it because people are just like seeing how hard we work and what we want to accomplish. They're offering help. Speaking of this runaway train, in 2019, you guys were named the fastest growing technology company in Canada by Deloitte. You're number one on the tech fast 50 list. You know, these awards and you've accumulated a number of them over the years. What do they mean to you? How do you think about them? Do you pay any attention to these metrics? It just, it just feels good. Of course, that's not the goal. Our goal is to serve our customers. But it just, it just feels good mm-hmm. along the side. At least for team as well, right? Because they're like, again, like any company, you're just seeing your challenges and you're fixing them and you're so head down fixing. And when something like this happens, people are like, oh, okay. So you're not completely off the track. So we are doing something right. Totally. And I mean, you mentioned the word heads down and that, that really hits home here. Like when you guys are grinding away in the first couple of years of the business and you have sort of this early product market fit and things are scaling, who is the first sort of set of real investors that come knocking on your door? Like, how did the first angel investors or first VCs come to know about you guys? Universe just want, wanted this to happen, and I'm very grateful for that. So remember when I told you, like, I was an engineer in the U.S. working, mm-hmm. and uh, this gentleman called Tony Pyrus, he kind of, like, we get to know each other because he was a supplier to the company that he used to work. And I went to his mastermind groups. And then when I started this, he was like, you can't do it. You can't do it. You can't do it. And then one day, like I was keep telling him about our progress. And I said, yeah, I think we want to raise capital. And he said, can I put in $25,000? And I said, are you serious? I said, yes. And then he was like, can I also introduce you to my friends? So our engine run actually came together very easy. Mm. And I thought of, that wasn't that hard. So five months later, I packed my bag, went direct to Silicon Valley. For the first time I'm in Silicon Valley, like before that, I think one time I went for two days travel. And now I'm like, yes, guys, I'm this entrepreneur, came to raise capital. How much do you want? $5 million. And Silicon Valley got all of that power and punched me in the face. Three months later, I came back only with $100,000 check. Oh, really? What year was that, that you went down to Silicon Valley? This is 2016. Okay. But the Series A happens in 2018, was it, where you guys raise a proper round, 17 million or so? Yeah. So from 2016 all the way to 2018, Mm -hmm. I was raising like 25K check here and there. Small checks. Mm Mm-hmm. Small checks. And end of 2016, we almost closed the company. We only had $200,000 left. I think less than a couple of months of run rate. You're like, this is it. We're doing whatever it takes. I went, I think, two times to Silicon Valley, one time to China to meet one gentleman for only like $50,000 check. Wow. <laughs> because he was supposed to give you $500,000. And then at the end, he decided to only give us 50000 So 2016 and 17 was extremely hard. So what happens 2017, 2018? You survive this period, you come out of it on the other side, and you say to yourself, what? I'm going to go down to Silicon Valley, and I'm going to give it a proper try? The whole 2016 and 17, I was keep coming back into Silicon Valley mm. to getting like 50K check, 100K check, and finally, we got like a $600,000 check from Can Do Ventures, mm. 
we got actually Shaheen Hedayat, who is like general partner of Kandu. He joined our board. He was an ex-entrepreneur. By the way, one of the best things happened to the company is like when ex-entrepreneurs kind of like invest because they went to the pay and they can help you with the path. And that's amazing. So he helped us. He narrates our story better to just come with the solutions that we were doing. Now our numbers were, we hustled for two years. And because we didn't have the money, we, it actually was a blessing for us because we built it super efficient. And I think we were growing like uh, 15 to 16. We only grown like, I think, three times. 16 to 17, we grow 10x. Mm. And 17 to 18, we did 12x growth. Wow. Fast forward, you know, post Series A, you guys have this exponential growth, not only on the revenue side, but the company is growing quickly. You've got 170 employees in 2019. You raise $55 million Series B. Series C happens in 2020, where you raise another $75 million. At that point, you've got hundreds of employees. And then your Series D, midway through last year, 2021, you guys announced that $375 million round that I mentioned at now a $4 billion valuation. And that round is led by Ontario Teachers Pension Plan, along with some other major investors. So just walk me through this experience. You as a founder preparing for, say, your seed or Series A, versus B, C, D? Like, how did you grow throughout that process? And how do those rounds differ from one another? They're very different. Adam, you you nailed it down by saying it. I was also a different person. So language barrier was always a big thing for me. Like, uh, even right now, you can see, like, uh, for something that takes, like, 30 seconds to say, I may take two minutes to say, right? And when you're fundraising, that's not really helpful because you need to explain a lot of things in a very short amount of time, having direct answers. So 2018, I went, now easy time. Now the company, as I said, grown 12x compared to 2017. Now we were in on the verge of another like six or seven X for 2019. This time, like investors came out. So we, we did Series B. Actually, I went to Silicon Valley to raise from Silicon Valley. I couldn't. They were now turning us down because now it was a growth investment. And they were like, oh, growth investment. We don't invest in Canada. You need to bring the company in Silicon Valley. This is now last quarter of 2018. But something happened in last quarter of 2018. We got a multi-hundred million dollar acquisition offer. Like I had my decision before going to the meeting, but I wanted like my brothers to come in. Massey, my brother, he's like a crazy builder. He was like, do you think we can build our company faster? I was like, I'm not sure. They uh, they kind of wanted me to also like run the bigger company. And we were, I think at the time, like 80 people and the other company was 400 people. I'm like, oh, I'm not sure. I'm I gonna definitely going to have more responsibility. Is it a US company? It was, yes. yeah. Okay, so they're, hundred, yeah. they're hundreds of employees. You guys are tens of employees. They, they yes. put this offer in front of you. You could have walked away with retirement-like yes. money. Yeah. Okay. And, oh, and, and also the opportunity. They, they knew I want to run. The, the opportunity not only to run my company, also run the, the bigger company. Right. And their CEO was the nicest person. I love that man. I love that man. I was like so excited because he could just coach me to get better. He was also an immigrant. Amazing gentleman. Amazing gentleman. I'm still in touch with him. And uh, maybe my brother also didn't want to go forward with it. He said, like, we ju- this just started working. Let's see how it can be. So you had turned down the initial acquisition offer 
right? You guys walk away from that check thinking you can build the company faster, better than if you were to get swallowed up. You then go back to Silicon Valley, you try and raise a bigger round and you get punched in the face. But the major problem they had with our company was two things. Number one, no one could believe, and still I'm not sure if they believe, that you can build a very, very big company in international students market because majority of the VCs, they went to like top schools in the US. The education was always accessible to them one way or another. And the fact of someone sell their home to send their kids abroad to go to a no name, like not an Ivy League school, they weren't resonating. But I was explaining to them, if this kid doesn't go to this school, they're not going to be even to be maybe a, a simple worker. This is like a dead or life situation. Like, and so it, it was very hard for me to explain. Traction was good, but it's still not the level. And uh, one of the biggest problem that at least that was like explanation that some of them, they were telling us, they're like, no, you are getting to a territory of a couple of hundred million dollars, your next thing to be unicorn. I think at that time, Canada only had one unicorn. Then the company named Kick right now, like they kind of like sold it. It wasn't like every anyone believed that Canada can do it. And uh, Shopify was technically the only very big one that was people started to know. But still, it wasn't like as known as right now. So some of the big firms, they were like, we can consider it if you come to Silicon Valley, if you're willing to bring a company to Silicon Valley or New York. That's where the big companies can happen. So it didn't happen. Do you guys still feel pressure? So we're recording in 2022, you know, spring, March of 22, 1,500 employees across multiple countries. Your post-Series D, your valuation is north of $4 billion. Do you still feel the pressure to move headquarters to the US? No. Pandemic changed everything. How so? First, our Series C investors was Drive Capital. They came to visit us. Again, we didn't go. They came to visit us. They heard us from some of our current investors at the time. They came. They were completely okay. Now we were a couple of hundred people. They never brought it up. They left Silicon Valley to go to Columbus because they were believing that all the big companies can also happen outside of Silicon Valley and they wanted to capture those opportunities. So we were completely meeting their criteria that they left Silicon Valley for it. Uh, so Series C, it didn't come up and then pandemic happened. Everything become online. And since then, not a single time I heard it, which is good. You know, like tell everywhere you have a smart talent, right? Understand in the pre-pandemic because of people wanted to go to office every day, accessing to some high executive would be harder in a country like Canada because a lot of those experience exist in Silicon Valley, New York, Boston. But now, and we, right now it's easy because right now we have executive in Seattle, Boston, other places in United States or any other country. From that point of view, I think pandemic kind of accelerated outside of those cities. Rest of the United States, the rest of North America and other places opened up the opportunity. This remote thing, I really like it. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Let me talk to you about some other trends related to the pandemic and how things have changed. Namely, with the growth of ed tech and higher education, you know, which has benefited from decades of tuition increases. And now with the pandemic, it's brought to light a number of questions related to what learning might look like in the next decade or so. So about 1.6 billion, at least that's the number that I've come across, 1.6 billion students have moved to online education during the pandemic. Many will stay there. All of that on top of the massive success of these open online courses uh, put forth by companies like Coursera, Udacity, Udemy, LinkedIn Learning. How do you think about all of this in the context of Applyboard and your strategy going forward? Amazing question. I'm uh, writing an article for Forbes, not sure when it come up, uh, about like what is happening in education field. So there is five pillar of uh, disruption coming to education. Uh, one of them is content, whether it's online, offline. The other one is personalization, right? Before you put all the students in the same class, you teach them exactly the same and you exam them exactly the same. But we know people are different. We learn different. We work different style. Some people are very experimental, like me. Some people are very, like, they read and write. Some people are um, very, for example, like, they learn different. Like, putting everyone in the same format, not the most efficient way, right? Some people want to, like, grow very fast. Some people want to grow very deep, right? And all of them is good. Like, is there is no bad or good. It's just a, we are different. Human beings are different. So why the teaching is exactly the same? from the standpoint. So that would be a lot of disruption. The other one is assessment, huge assessment disruption. It's coming, how to exam people, how to assess your competency. Because like, as you see right now, like it's, it's like your coding ability alone doesn't matter. You like, what's your sense of art? What's your sense of psychology, for example, in the in matter of tech, right? Can you build something that people want? Can you build something that it can grow viral? Then the fourth one called financial access, providing access to education through financial is a very, very big problem. And we dig into this one and the fifth one where Applyboard right now, we playing in that field called access, any form of access, right? Providing any form of access in making it easier for everyone to access to good quality education. So we are playing in the field four and five. There's so many companies, like majority of tech companies that you can see today, they are playing in the content. So it's the early days of disruption, you could see. And majorly it's about creating different type of formats. So from the traditional, you sit in a classroom and professor teach you, uh, going to boot camp, going to fully online, going to hybrid education. So this is, I think, 80% of disruption happening in this field because we are very early. And then you could see some sort of like disruption in other fields. Applyboard, we are less worried about the content 
personalization and assessment because we believe other people are going to help on that. We want to like focus on access and financial access. So a lot of our students, the last two years, they were all learning online. So our platform works regardless. You, you want to learn online or you want to like learn on campus. Our job is to help you to get access to that education. So that's where we want to play. Why is that important? So right now we have 165 million students globally in higher education. The actual need today is over 550 million people. Means almost 380 million people don't have access to any sort of higher education. How is that fair? Just because you were born in India, Iran, Nigeria, China, Vietnam, some places in the U.S., born in a poor family, family that your parents are Jew or Baha'i or Christian in a, like a, a majority Muslim or Muslim in a, like a Christian majority or your parents are poor or you were from a village for any limitation. It's not fair that you don't have access to education. And this is the reality of the world. Majority of people don't have access to education, almost 70%. And that is what we want to change. When you think about the competition in this market, names like Shaw Academy or Study Portals or Learn Platform, I don't even know who you deem your key competitors are. Maybe you can shed light on that. But my question is really around, do you benefit from having increased competition? Because as you say, the market is so big, you've got 380 plus million students globally that don't have access to higher education. The more players trying to solve this problem in a way benefits everybody, doesn't it? Absolutely. It benefits humanity. So let me give you some stats. So right now, there's five to six million students, at least as of 2019, that the stats are like more accurate, that they study in, in another foreign country, international students, right? As you said, there is, let's call it about 380 million people don't have access to any education. We are right now at Flyboard. This year, we are number one on planet Earth in terms of the quantity. Like we... We're helping about 60,000 students enrolling, which means like we are helping like over 200,000 people with their application and journey to about 60,000 people this year start their classrooms because of like a true apply board. So 60,000 divided by 380 million is nothing. So I don't think really we are talking about the, like we are talking about, I think we should just help each other for achieving the mission. This is not a nasty business. This is a heart business. We are in the business of heart. We are in the business of helping other people. So you see some stuff like that. But majority of people in the market are amazing people. They want to help. They want to like create value for customers. They want to do good things. Who are the big players in the U.S. in this field? U.S. is the most underserved market. Australia is number one. Is 33% of the students are international. Then Canada and UK is about 20% of students are international, 20, 25%. US is only 5% of students are international. So this concept of international students coming to the universities, US is the least among even like other Western countries like Germany and France is very, very underserved. But the other big companies uh, like IDP, for example, is a company based in Australia that they help students. They're more traditional, like we are online. They're, they're like, they have stores everywhere and they help the students through like uh, meeting face to face and help them. I thank them for what they've done to uh, tens of thousands of people and I wish them success. 
You know, in a way, when you, you mentioned these five pillars, content, personalization, assessment, financial access, and access in any form, your areas of focus might be four and five. But the way that I see it, you're also helping with respect to number two and number three, because you've got this 95% acceptance rate from your students that are applying through the portal, which involves personalization, right? And of course, assessment to some degree. So there you go. I mean, you've kind of hit on four or five of these pillars in a big way. Absolutely. And even in the contents, because we get a lot of information from students, where would they like to study, what they would like to study. And we get some information from the market and from the companies of what is the labor going to be in the next couple of years. So we can also help uh, schools, universities, colleges to say, what should you teach to not only get the best quality students, like a diverse quality, diverse students from all around the world, also to make sure your students are going to get a good ROI for their education and they find a good job. So kind of like also helping on number one in a way. You've talked a little bit about, quote, alternative destination markets that students are focused on. What does that mean, that term alternative destination markets? And why is it important in this context? So let me, for example, explain it for you. Remember my story? I was like, I was a good student. I was doing like electrical, mechanical. So I wanted, for example, to build robots. And we didn't have any good laboratory, even in the best engineering school of Iran, if I could get in to work on the areas. So imagine Martin, 2010. He's a good student. He's willing to like spend time. But there's no infrastructure or opportunity for these students. And Martin is just an example. Look at it right now. Every single company, probably all the people you bring to your podcast, their number one problem to grow their company is talent. We have more opportunities right now in North America than people who know how to do that job. On the other side of planet Earth, we have more people than opportunity. So if we can help be a bridge between these two locations, not only we can help those people with education and equal opportunity, also we can help the local economy, the, these local places, the local countries like Canada, US, Australia, UK, with amazing talent who come to your country young, they're energetic, they paid a lot to your education system, and now they come out and of course, some of them want to go back to their home country, but some of them want to gain experience and possibly even stay here so they can right away be talent to the country. And I think the smartest country on planet Earth, period, is Canada on this. Canada is turning international students to future immigrants very well with the programs that they have. UK is following and after Australia and uh, between these four major English speaking countries, the hardest is US that, you know, someone just graduated, join the companies in our economy and just provide value. I 100% I agree with you on this. The flip side of this coin, and this isn't my own opinion, but the flip side of this coin is that Canadians or Americans, if you want to use that example, see international talent as a threat, a direct threat to their own jobs and their own future. How do you clarify and or explain or, or frame that for people that might have that view? The data doesn't suggest that. The data suggests that immigrants actually create more jobs than take jobs. I believe about 25% of unicorns 
that created in the United States they were with international students, 25%. And there is a reason for that. It's not like international people are just necessarily smarter or better. It takes certain personality to leave your country at the age of 18 or 20 to go to another country alone for education. That person is more t- risk taker. That person is more entrepreneurial. That's why you see like over 50% of the big companies created by either immigrants or children of immigrants. It's just because of those people are the people that mostly like leave the country. So the data doesn't suggest that is that. That's number one. Number two, for every three international students studying in the country, there is one direct jobs created. Remember, they're bringing tens of billions of dollars in tuition fee and living expenses from other countries to this country. So it's like sport. It's like tourism. It's like you say, oh, tourists take all of our food and there's no food for us. No, tourists bring a lot of money. So not only our restaurants sell more, also like our hotels sell more. So there's more money and we can, our economy get better. That's how you should look at it. So in Canada, in terms of absolute number, depends on very, like our first Export is automotive. Then is natural resources. Third is always like between either international education or it's um, uh, lumber, depending on the price, very close to each other. And in Australia, after mining, is the second biggest export. In the UK, is the fifth biggest export. So this is a legitimate, even economic value to the host countries. The way that I say it is just like a talent factory, turning your universities and colleges because also remember, our age demographic is declining, it means we don't have as many 18 years old as we had 10 years ago. So it's declining. If you don't bring fresh people, uh, what happened? Our, our population just getting aged faster. Even with this much of immigration and the stuff that we are having, it's still our population getting older and older. So not only the current wave is not enough, we have to even do more. If we want to like have a, for example, for Canada, if you want to have a free education, free healthcare means you should have a very vibrant economy. Let's talk about that piece. So if people buy into this thesis of Canada continuing to lead in terms of attracting talent, what can we do better on the retention side here? How can we make sure, because you mentioned previously that keeping talent is a huge challenge not only for your company, but for others that are based in Canada, there is a lot of pressure, right, to, to retain and their salary inflation and everything else. What can we do better in this regard? I think Canada is doing a very good job already. People, almost in our major cities, when you enter, you don't feel being a foreigner. You feel like it's a very welcoming country. I love that about Canada. You know, people, you see diversity almost in every city. The smaller cities are different. I never lived. I lived in Kitchener, Waterloo. It's close to Toronto. So I have the same feeling here. I never lived in a super small city to, to tell you the feeling. But major cities, I think is very good already. What Canada have to do? You have to make sure that they stay on top. What they have to do, you have to make the paperwork process for immigration, work visa, study visa better. It takes so long and it's the system make a lot of mistakes. So if they don't fix it and someone else, like, for example, Netherlands or Ireland do it better, I think they're going to attract a lot of talent. Because uh, remember, the world is changing. It used to be from employer or the country was having a high card. Now the employee or the talent 
have the high card, right? If you are, a, for example, a software developer or if you are a nurse, technically, you can go to any country in the world you want. You can find a job in Singapore. You can find a job in Hong Kong. can find a job in Toronto. You can find a job, like, you can go anywhere in the world, in Amsterdam. So it's now we need to be more aggressive in making sure. I think the major thing I want to say about Canada, just fix the immigration system. Not in terms of the actual system, in terms of the paperwork application system. I know they're, uh, they have a budget of $1 billion that they want to fix it. And um, that's a, like a, one of the things. Maybe this is the next chapter for Apply Board is helping Canada fix that process. It feels like you guys might be a natural fit for that. Adam, we want to help the whole world, all countries. Just imagine a world that we can help everyone to be where that they can have the highest amount of growth. Just imagine a world that everyone have access to education and you can help match people with the best possible opportunities in life. Because when we say like educate the world, we don't mean necessarily just a traditional go to college for like two years or four years or something like that. We're talking about education doesn't mean like pen and paper or whiteboard and a marker. Education means elevating people. And that elevation could be in a shadow. It could be in a bootcamp program. It could be in a work opportunity. It could be in helping them to start a company and starting an experiment, helping them create a drug, helping them go the other side of the planet Earth and help people who are dying in a, in a hospital because they don't have a nurse. That's how we see it. Educating the world and elevating people. I love it. Applyboard.com for more info on Applyboard. Martin, where can people follow you and keep on top of what you guys are doing with respect to Applyboard, but also how can they connect with you on social? I'm act more active on Instagram and uh, LinkedIn. Recently, I started like using uh, Twitter as well. So it's a new thing for me. On all of them, I'm at Martin Basiri. Congratulations to you and the team on all your success. It's really incredible. It's such a great mission-driven business. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. That's it for today. Thanks so much for listening. E2 is brought to you by Scriberbase. Build your subscription business and thrive. More at Scriberbase.com. Want to start your own podcast in 2022? Visit e2coursehub.com for more info on our step-by-step guide to bring your show to market. If you like what you heard today, don't forget to download and subscribe wherever you get your audio. You can also visit us at glow.fm forward slash e2 to become a supporter. Until next time, make today count with whatever it is you're working on. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonise your mind, body and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together we explore vibrations, frequencies and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today.